Chapter Eighteen of the Life and Times of Kateri Tekakwitha, the Lily of the Mohawks, by Ellen Walworth. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Hunting Camp. Kateri came to Canada when the woods were rich in color, but now the winter had set in. The Christmas ceremonies are over at the mission of Saint Francois Saffier du Sioux, and the village is almost deserted. The fathers are indeed there, Fremont, Cholinac and chauchetiere but they lead a quiet studious life in the absence of their spiritual children the snow lies heavy on the ground and only a few stray indians occupy the desolate cabins what has become of the zealous band of christian iroquois that so lately dwelt there answering every call of the chapel bell and chanting back and forth at the daily mass have the fathers lost their dusky flock will they ever come back they have gone far into the heart of the forest but the black gowns have no fear they will all return at easter time and the chapel will ring again with the sound of their voices the men in motley attire will gather on one side of the aisle and the women shrouded in their blankets on the other the indians of the sioux have no thought as yet of giving up their forest life nor do the missionaries ask it of them food becomes scarce as the snow deepens so they depart with their women and children to some good hunting ground and locate a camp for the winter months they like this sojourn in the forest the freedom from restraint accords well with their wild tastes and old habits of life but kateri would willingly have stayed in the village if her sister had favored such an arrangement she knows the life of the hunting camp right well she has been on these expeditions before with her aunts in the mohawk country among these christians it must of course be different from the life she led in the camp at saratoga and so it is the dogiques go with the mission indians to the forest and during the time of the hunt they retain as far as possible the religious exercises of the sioux they call the indians together for morning and evening prayers and a spirit of sobriety and good order prevails this is in marked contrast to the excesses indulged in by the pagan mohawks at their hunting camps where they generally take a keg or more of fort orange liquor to keep them warm the canadian winter seems bitter cold to kateri this band of indians from the mission are camping northward of the adirondacks but most of them are used to the frosty atmosphere and have made themselves quite cosy and comfortable in their hunting lodges of bark and close-woven boughs they have a full supply of furs and skins to wrap about them or to hang over the openings and cracks in their temporary houses kateri is poorer than the rest in this respect for she has no hunter to provide these things for her her brother-in-law is willing to do what he can but he has a large family of his own and is not as active in the chase as formerly being past middle age there are enough young hunters among the relatives and friends of the venerable anastasia to provide her with all she needs the elder woman would gladly have made a match between kateri and one of these young braves but the least allusion to such a thing annoys kateri the girl never complains of the cold but anastasia can see that though closely enveloped in her blanket she is not so warmly clothed as the rest she has spoken to her several times of the advantages of the married state 
on one occasion she pressed the matter so far that kateri from a spirit of mischievous fun rather than ill-humour retorted by telling anastasia that she had better marry again herself if she thought so much of marriage as for her if they could convince her that marriage was necessary to salvation she would embrace it but she doubted much if there were not something more perfect she did not see the necessity of it in her case as she could provide for her own wants by the labor of her hands if this mohawk maiden had known anything about convent life she would soon have discovered that she had a vocation for it and would have become a nun but thus far no indian had ever taken the vows and anastasia could not understand why kateri should not marry as she was now more than twenty years old there was no denying however that she did add very much to the resources of the family and to the general comfort of the lodge by her industry and dexterity at every kind of indian handicraft practised by the women had she been less generous in giving and preferred to bargain away what she made she would soon have grown rich in wampum money on account of her skill and then she could have bought all the furs she needed but having no fear of poverty she worked freely for all and so was always poor she kept only what was necessary for her own support she was never a burden to those with whom she dwelt on the contrary she helped to enrich them while denying herself everything but a bare subsistence she often fasted till evening even when hard at work and then if unobserved would mingle ashes with her food that it might be devoid of everything that could afford pleasure to the taste it may be well to describe the way in which she spends her day at the hunting camp the women are supposed to have a very easy time in the forest whereas the men have hard work they are gone all day tracking animals over the snow and into their burrows it is when the hunters come in bringing their game and drop off to sleep from sheer exhaustion that the task of the women begins for they have to prepare the flesh of the animals for food and take care of the skins but this done they have plenty of time left for gossip and fancy work when they are in the village they have more of household cares to fill up each day besides working in the fields and attending daily services at the chapel if these women all followed the example of kateri while in the forest they would have fewer sins to confess when they go back to the village at easter time the quiet retreat which kateri has chosen for herself is near the pathway leading to the stream and made by the women of the hunting camp in tramping back and forth for water there in her rustic oratory she is accustomed to kneel amid the snow she does not raise her head except to look at the cross she has cut on the trunk of a tree her hands are crossed on her breast and her blanket hangs loosely down from her head and shoulders in many a careless fold the rivulet close beside her is crusted with ice and the bushes are heavy with snow the water runs freely and swiftly a little beyond her where there is a break in the line of bushes along the brink of the stream they have been thrust aside and the snow has fallen from them here it is that the women come to dip water for the camp kateri was there in the morning and among the very first she helped to prepare the breakfast for the hunters 
she was present also at the morning prayers which were said in common it was not until the men were busily engaged in eating a meal that would last them the greater part of the day and the women with nothing special to do were hovering about seeking a chance to join in the good cheer and see the hunters off that kateri slipped away and now is hiding among the trees as though she were nothing else than a little white rabbit that makes his home in a snowbank one would scarcely notice the print of her moccasins where she passed along by the bushes the snow is tufty and light the long low branches of kateri's tree the one on which she has marked the cross are bowed with its weight they almost touch the ground and shelter her motionless figure on the side towards the moccasin trail that leads to the water's edge little wavy lines on either side of the interlacing footprints of the women show where their blankets and skirts with shaggy fringe disturbed the even surface of the new-fallen snow as they passed along kateri brushed away the freshest of the snowy mass in front of her cross before she began her prayers she kneels on the hard-packed snow that is fast frozen to the ground her figure is sharply outlined against a little white mound of feathery flakes her thoughts are many miles away though her eyes are fixed on the cross which is suddenly lit up by a flash from the rising sun she knows that the moment has come for mass to begin in the village chapel at the great rapid of the st lawrence in spirit she kneels with the few who are gathered there and follows the mass from beginning to end with appropriate prayers she begs her guardian angel to fly away to the chapel and bring her back the fruits of the sacrifice there being offered she will need the good spirit at her side more when the morning meal is over and plenty of fuel has been gathered in to keep the fires burning all day long then she will sit among the women whose tongues are ever on the go and whose hands are busy embroidering elf-skin belts and making little ornaments of various kinds Kateri is able to give them many suggestions about their work. They often interrupt her with questions concerning the stitches and colors. The task she has set for herself while at the camp is of a more unusual kind than theirs. She is making wooden pack pins and two ingenious boxes or chests from the wood of a tree. Her sister greatly admires these boxes and would like to be able to make them as well herself kateri's good angel whispers to her when the gossip reaches its highest point and prompts her to ask a maiden beside her who has the sweetest of voices to sing an iroquois hymn soon the tide of the women's talk is turned and they are telling one another stories from the lives of the saints these they have learned from the fathers or heard at the conferences in the village kateri has been gleaning them all along in her talks with anastasia as told by the women at the hunting camp these edifying stories brought over from old europe gain rather than lose in picturesqueness of detail it would puzzle many of these indians to know just how it comes about but in some way whenever kateri sits among them they seem to forget their neighbors faults and begin to talk of people who delighted in doing unselfish or heroic deeds little by little their thoughts drift off to a better world and their fingers move all the faster for it there is more of work going on and less noise of chattering tongues when the shadows gather about them they scatter well pleased with themselves and the work of the day 
they assemble again when the hunters are all in and the last meal of the day is over the evening prayers are recited together then they find their mats for the night and drop off one by one to sleep but kateri is again on her knees and prays for herself and for all in the silent darkness and thus while the others are dreaming of beaver and marten of venison and captured game she is thinking only of how to please god but one thing is certain were she to eat more sleep sounder and pray less there would have been a better promise of long life and less occasion to excite the suspicions of that worthy squaw whose jealous eye is always open her well-meaning tongue could give a deeper stab than any kateri has yet had to endure thus far she holds her peace well has not breathed a word of what is in her mind but yet would like to know just where the young mohawk keeps herself at the times when she does not see her among the women this squaw found her husband sound asleep one morning not far from kateri's place in the lodge the hunter came in late worn out by a long chase after a canadian elk and dropped to sleep in the first place he could find as he crept in among the prostrate sleeping indians he was a good man and had never had any misunderstanding with his wife till a strange sudden notion overcame her she was possessed with the idea that kateri was making mischief between herself and her husband a second unfortunate incident which ordinarily would have passed unnoticed served to confirm this woman in her suspicion as the time approached to return to the village her husband said one day to the assembled women that he was working on a canoe which would have to be stitched then turning naturally enough to kateri whose skill with the needle was well known he asked her if she would not do it for him she had an obliging disposition and did not hesitate to say that she would but voila qui donna encore a penser says chauchetier he continues thus the one who had these thoughts was wise enough not to speak them till she got to the village she went on to find the father and told him her suspicion and the foundation for her judgment the father who feared much in so delicate an affair which seemed perhaps possible enough spoke to catherine as much to question as to exhort her whatever catherine could say however she was not entirely believed her instructress spoke to her also either to remedy the evil in case there might be any or to prevent it never before did the blessed catherine suffer so much as on this occasion what grieved her was that the father seemed not to believe her and accused her as if she had been guilty but god permitted it thus to purify her virtue for nothing remained to so virtuous a girl after leaving her country her relations and all the comforts she might have found in a good marriage which she could not have failed to make if she wished nothing more remained for her to do than to practice abnegation in her honour and to retain not a particle of rancour she said only what was necessary to make known the truth and said not the least thing that could make it appear that she was displeased with any one of those who were with her at the chase in the end her remarkable patience and her silence helped to vindicate her in this severest trial of her life 
compared to it the lying tale of her malicious aunt was as nothing for no one had believed what she said in this case it was very different and kateri unable to defend herself against the plausible suspicion of this woman could only live down the calumny as bravely as possible leaving god to clear her memory of every shadow of a doubt as he would not fail to do in time the good man who was accused with her never before or after gave his wife any occasion to complain of him she became convinced that her own jealousy had led her into error when kateri was dead she who had done the mischief could never speak of her without weeping to think how needlessly she had wronged and grieved her but who can ever heal the wound of a reckless tongue alas that the lily of the mohawks the fairest flower that ever bloomed among the red men should have been thus accused one result of this affair was kateri's resolve never again to exchange the life of the village for that of the hunting camp even at the cost of starvation not long after the indians returned to the mission the ceremonies of holy week began in the chapel at the sioux kateri had never witnessed them before she was deeply impressed and almost overpowered with emotion as the divine tragedy of calvary unrolled itself before her it was brought to her mind by degrees with every detail in the daily services culminating on good friday with mournful chants the broken mutilated mass of the prophecies and the slow unveiling of the crucifix these ceremonies of holy week together with the fervent words of the missionaries who like the first preachers of christianity spoke to the people in their own tongues the wonderful works of god made a profound impression on all the indians of the praying castle as the bells of holy saturday rang in the news of the resurrection their joy broke forth into song a thrill of emotion stirred the throng happy tears were in kateri's eyes on easter sunday the swell of glad iroquois voices singing from their inmost souls wafted her responsive spirit to the opened gates of paradise End of chapter eighteen